reading is in two parts today. Firstly, from the 15th chapter, verses 22 to 27, and then I'll move on to the 17th chapter, verses uh, 1 to 7. So there'll be a bit of a gap in the middle for anyone who's following it. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. So the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water and the water became sweet. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there near the water. And on to chapter 17. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of Sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Repidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. And I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massah and Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Here ends the lesson. Good morning. And this morning, the title of my talk is The God with a Greater Purpose. About four or five years ago, um, I had spent the whole summer building up to being a bridesmaid at my cousin's wedding. 
And the wedding had happened, and it had been such an amazing day. But then, my best friend and her husband left and didn't take me with them. I had been such a part of it, and suddenly, on the next day, it was just me. And I was really down. I felt kind of a bit bereft, a bit lost. And my cousin, who was there, and her husband said to me, do you want to come to Albra for the day? And I thought, no, I don't want to go to Albra for the day. It's about an hour's worth of driving, and all I really want to do is sit around here and mope. Anyway, they really wanted to go, so I got in the car, sat in the back of the car the whole time thinking, oh, I just don't know why we're going. Finally, we arrived, and it was about kind of 2.30, 3 o'clock. And I thought, and they said to me, um, should, we, should we go and look for some lunch? I thought, of course, let's go and look for some lunch. I'm really hungry. It's nearly 3 o'clock. I don't even know why we've come here. Anyway, so we got out of the car and went to look somewhere, to look somewhere for lunch. And we walked past this restaurant, and I looked in, and I saw about 10 of my really good friends who'd been at the wedding. And I said, oh, let's not go in there. I'm just not in the mood to speak to anyone. But my cousin led us right into the restaurant. And they all stood up and went, surprise! Because it was my birthday two days later. And they had planned this surprise party for me. I completely lacked in seeing the bigger picture and had grumbled my whole way to this amazing party that they had in store for me. Now, last week, I spoke about God as the provider during times of the wilderness. And this week, I want to look at the God who has a greater purpose for us during times in the wilderness. In these two accounts that Mark read, there are two parallel stories going on. If someone had been able to interview an Israelite and God, about what they thought was happening in these two stories. I think they would have been two very different accounts. The Israelite would have said, well, we didn't have any water and we were really, really thirsty. And then we got given some water. But then we kept being led to places where there wasn't any water. And then there would be water, but then we'd definitely have to leave there and wouldn't have any water again. All the Israelites would be able to talk about was the lack of water. God, on the other hand, would give an account of the spiritual state of the Israelites, what was going on with his relationship with them, the spiritual lessons that he was wanting to teach them. The Israelites very nearly missed out on what God was trying to do during this time in the wilderness because they had narrowed their view so much so that all they could see was the problems that lay before them. And I want to look at the lessons that we can learn from the Israelites' mistakes that they made during the wilderness. So that when we find ourselves in times of wilderness, whether it's lack of money, lack of a relationship, losing a job, something not happening that we're desperate to happen, so that during those times we can learn to see the greater purpose that God is working out. So my first point 
is make sure that you are looking to God for your security. In the wilderness, the Israelites were afraid. The wilderness to the Israelites was a frightening place. They didn't have their own home. They didn't have their own means for food and water. And they didn't know where they were going. In verse 3 of chapter 17, they say, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? The Israelites are so worried about not having water that they begin to make this their sole focus. All they can think about is how much they need the water. And they think about this so much that they almost get to the point where they see that their security lies in having water. They only feel safe when they have this physical provision. And the world to us can feel like a very unsafe place. The world tells us that unless we have enough materially, we won't be safe. So we get the job that pays enough money to then be able to get on the property ladder, to then be able to send our children to the good schools so that then they can get the good job and get on the property ladder. And the cycle goes round. We believe the lie that if we can do these things, then we'll be safe. As long as we have these things, not much can go wrong. That couple who recently won a huge share of the lottery. I wonder if you found yourselves, when you were watching it on the news, thinking, the lucky little things, their life's sorted now. If we won the lottery, we'd have everything that we need. Ed and I definitely looked to each other and thought, if we had the lottery, we could buy a flat with three bedrooms. But it doesn't make us safe. In the story of Oliver Twist, uh, you'll know well the story of Fagin. And he spends his time collecting this jewelry that is of so much worth. Every time these boys come back from pickpocketing for him, he takes the best things and hides them away for himself. And when no one's looking, he goes to his secret treasure chest and he opens it up and he starts to speak to his treasure. He's in a relationship with his treasure where it dominates, where he puts all of his security in it. In the film of this story, at the end, Fagin's on the run and he's got his chest in hand and it drops into this sinking mud and he just watches piece by piece of his treasure sinking. It's gone just like that. You might have noticed that during the credit crunch. It can go just like that. And God is longing for the Israelites to look to him and realize that their security lies in him. God says to them, I am the God who heals you. He says, listen carefully. 
God is constantly trying to get the attention of the Israelites, to get them to stop looking at this need for provision physically and to look to him. And God longs for us to do the same. He longs for us to look to him and see that all that our security, physical provision and more, lies in him. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. As we look to the Father, we realize that he doesn't just have our physical needs covered, but so much more. He offers us eternal life. He offers us the richness of a relationship with him. He offers us a security that cannot be destroyed, that can never go in an instant. But we can only know this when we look to him. So that's the first point. Make sure you are looking to God for your security. The second point is ask God what he is shaping in you. Times in the wilderness can be really hard. When we're in the wilderness, often the only thing that we can focus on is the problem that is causing us to be in the wilderness. And this problem can consume all of our energy. The Israelites could only think about this lack of water. It consumed all of their thoughts, all that they said to Moses. But God's eyes are focused on something completely different. God didn't primarily take the Israelites into the wilderness just to be constantly proving to them that he could give them food and water when they needed it. He wasn't like a magician who was constantly pulling out new tricks just to impress the Israelites. His primary reason for taking the Israelites into the wilderness is to grow them spiritually. Israel is the chosen nation. They've been chosen to reveal God to all the other nations. But God knows that the only way that they'll ever be ready to do this ever be ready for the promised land is if he's grown them up spiritually. And in chapter 15, we see this happening. Whilst the Israelites are complaining about the lack of water, God is teaching them a lesson. He's teaching them a lesson of obedience. Verse 26, he says, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands, and keep all his decrees. I will not bring on you any diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. God is saying, if you follow me, if you obey me, then you'll be okay. God wants them to learn this lesson of obedience, because they won't cope in the promised land if they haven't learned to obey his commands. And the Israelites almost missed out on learning this. 
They spent 40 years in the wilderness because they kept neglecting to learn the lessons that God was trying to teach them. They didn't ask God, what are you trying to show us? What are you trying to teach us? So we need to ask God, what is he shaping in us? Recently, Ed and I have been asking this question. About a year ago, um, Ed's firm decided they were going to have to make a round of redundancies, which were to happen in January. And January came, and thankfully, Ed kept his job, and we breathed a sigh of relief. In April, Ed's firm said to him, yeah, we're making another round of redundancies, which will happen in June. So we spent another couple of months not quite knowing what the future held. And in June, we breathed a sigh of relief because Ed kept his job. Last week, there's the rumor that Ed's firm are going to be making another round of redundancies within his area. And you can imagine how we felt. And we can respond to this in two ways. On Friday, I demonstrated the first option. I was so cross. I just thought, I'm just so bored of these redundancies. Constantly, just as we think life has settled down and we can begin to envision envisage more than just the month ahead. Something happens that means we have to rethink everything. What's more, I was writing a talk on exactly this subject, and it wasn't going very well. And I felt like throwing all my toys out of the pram and saying to God, I can't be bothered to learn any lessons here. I don't care what you're doing. Sort it, and I'll come back and talk to you when it's sorted. And of course, the worst thing was that I knew this wasn't going to get me anywhere. And at some point, I was going to have to turn around and speak to God. And the sooner, the better, because I still had a talk to write. The other way of preaching this is to say, God, the wilderness is a really hard place. But I know that the lessons that you can teach me here are far more valuable than the easy life. Far more valuable than having a job for life far more valuable than always having money in the bank account. And if we can have the courage to ask this question, then it brings about a whole new dimension to our times in the wilderness. It brings about purpose and hope when we felt like things were hopeless. It enables us to see that God is at work, that he hasn't just abandoned us or forgotten us, that he has got a plan, and that he is using this time to bring about good. We need to have the courage to ask him and to view the spiritual lessons that we can learn as more valuable than just having the physical things around us that we think we need. So that's the second point. To ask God, what is he shaping in us? The third point is to know the bigger plan that you are a part of. The Israelites had a unique assignment. They had perhaps one of the most amazing calls you could ever have. They were called to be the chosen nation that revealed God to all other nations. Out of Israel, came Jesus. Deuteronomy 26, verses 18 and 19, 
say, and the Lord has declared this day that you are his people, his treasured possession, as he promised. He has declared that he will set you in praise, fame, and honor, high above all the nations he has made, and that you will be a people holy to the Lord your God, as he promised. Israelites are part of an amazing covenant, an amazing call. And yet they often don't seem to live like this. They grumble away, not thinking or reminding themselves of what this is all a part of. I want you to picture St. Paul's Cathedral in your mind. It's the most magnificent building. I want you to take yourself back to perhaps when it was being built and when there were many, many people at work constructing different areas of the cathedral. And a visitor comes along and sees what's going on. So he decides to, to find out what's happening. And he goes up to the first stonemason. And he says to the stonemason, oh, what are you doing? And the stonemason glumly looks up and says, oh, I'm just chiseling stone. And then the visitor goes on to the next stonemason. And, the st and he says to the stonemason, what are you doing? And he says, oh, well, I'm chiseling the stone just to build this pillar here. I says, oh, that's, that's very interesting. And then he goes along to the third stonemason. And he says, oh, what are you doing? And he says, oh, I'm building a cathedral. Chiseling a stone probably doesn't sound very fun, but it definitely feels much more fun if you know the bigger picture that you're working towards. And we, too, have an incredibly exciting call. Matthew 28, verse 19, says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. We have such an exciting call. I don't know if any of you like action films, but action films are brilliant in showing the hero who's got the secret piece of information and that he needs to deliver it in a really short amount of time or the whole earth is going to be destroyed. And we're all for the hero and nothing gets in his way. But I wonder whether you've ever thought that the pieces of information that you hold can prevent the whole world from being destroyed, can save people's lives for an eternity. What you know about Jesus can save someone's life. This is our call. It's not only exciting, but it's crucially important. And if we can learn to remember this greater call when we're sitting at home doing our work, when we're trying to have coffee with someone who doesn't yet know the Lord but we don't really get on with, when we're learning hard spiritual lessons out in the wilderness and wondering what it's all a part of, if we can remember this greater purpose that is at work, then it enables us to do the harder work to endure the hardships, knowing that it's part of something amazing. So that's the third point, to know the bigger plan that you are a part of. And if we can learn to constantly be looking at the bigger picture 
to be putting our security in God, to be allowing him to shape us, to grow us, and to be remembering where we're going, then we can live in the wilderness in a very different way to how the Israelites approached it. It doesn't mean that it's easy, but it makes it far more worthwhile. So I'm going to finish with a prayer. Lord, thank you that you have this great purpose, that in everything that you do, in everything that we do, you're bringing about a greater good. Lord, thank you that we're a part of that plan and that you're using everything in our lives for that plan. And Lord, I pray that you would help each one of us to trust you, to allow you to shape us. And Lord, that you would excite us for this call that we are a part of. Amen. H, thank you so much. Uh, a timely word, a Rima word. Um, different era, but same God as he spoke to the Israelites then, speaking to us today. Let's stand together. We're going to sing our final song, There is a Redeemer.